0: Chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes, warning, if you have not looked at your bulletin, you will get a reprieve next week from Ecclesiastes, and then downhill sprint to finish it up, and no, I'm not telling you what's coming next. (laughs) I'm evil like that. i mean to you guys. You have to wait till you find it in the bulletin. Um, As we move through, remember, we are into the second half of this. So Solomon has made all of his observations about life, and he's pretty much decided that all of it is mostly useless. Which, if you're looking at the world from the world's point of view, we can kind of sympathize and agree with what Solomon has come up with. But now he's trying to figure out the hard part. In light of all of that uselessness, what's the point of the stuff that we do and where, pray tell, do you find meaning? And remember, part of the problem Solomon is having is he's got a foundation of godly wisdom that he's adding worldly wisdom to. And this is the wrestling match going back and forth. And I know you would know nothing about this. Living in the world, but trying to think biblically, living in the world and trying to honor God while being pulled and tugged and pushed and shoved in every single direction. I mean, I know that's not any of you. You're all just sitting there, you know, pure as the driven snow, which being in the Midwest, the driven snow isn't all that pure when you think about it, especially if it's near a highway. (laughs) Isn't that the worst part of the snow is it looks all beautiful in the field and then you drive down the road. It's like, how'd the snow get black? It probably shouldn't be like that. We need a better metaphor. I just don't have one right now. Yes, that's when in doubt, climate change, Greta was right, and how dare you. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I work on my Greta Thunberg impression. It is very important to me. <laughs> I need two things in life. I need my RC sproll button, and I need my Greta Thunberg button, so I can sit there and go, what is wrong with you people, and how dare you. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's partially bothers me though that I think my Greta Thunberg impression is actually better than my RC Sproul impression, and I don't know how I feel about that right now. So I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna move on with life and pretend like that whole little episode didn't happen and go. Okay, now what? Exactly. In chapter nine. The the danger that always comes with trying to add your worldly wisdom to your biblical wisdom is who wins. And as we go through chapter 9 is the chapter where you really start looking at Solomon sideways and going, Dude... I'm not entirely sure you understand which wisdom is supposed to be driving which. And again, that should be some good news for you because that's typically what happens to us in the world as well. So when we see something like that in scripture, we need to make sure we take a big old pause and go, okay, let's make sure we don't go down this road by understanding what? What is the biblical wisdom so that when the worldly wisdom creeps in, we can identify it. So we will ask some hard questions of Solomon this week, but fun will be had by all. Let's dive in. Verse 1. And we're breaking the trend that we've had the last few weeks. I know you guys have been enjoying this, but I'm just warning you now we're breaking it. For I have taken all this to my heart. Stop right there. Man, I told you. I, I told you enjoy those last few weeks where those long pauses. It won't be long though. I warned you last week that the end of chapter eight is the conclusion of that argument and the beginning of this argument. So we need to be reminded: What pray tell are these things you have taken to heart? It's the end of chapter eight. When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the task which has been done on the earth, even though no one should, even though one should never sleep day or night, I saw every work of God. I concluded that man cannot decide Discover the work which has been done under the sun. Even though man should seek laboriously, he will not discover, and though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. So Solomon's been thinking about that and realizing that God is at work and he is doing stuff, but he's never really going to understand this side of the veil, what exactly God has been doing, and how exactly God has been doing it, and that bothers him. So he's been thinking about it and explain it that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Yes <laughs> Good job, round of applause. Round of applause. Good job. This this is true. This is good. This would be biblical wisdom, Deuteronomy thirty three. The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones. At his right hand, there was flashing lightning for them. Indeed, he loves the people. All your holy ones are in your hand, and they followed in your steps. Everyone receives of your words. Now, that's part of the praise of Deuteronomy. Always remember, them. coming around already. You know it's going to be a day. Deuteronomy is Moses going, I'm about to die and I need to make sure that I'm going to leave Israel with a final exhortation. So what's the most important thing I could tell them? That's the book of Deuteronomy. So read Deuteronomy, it will do you good. And within that book, you see Moses recounting the history of everything, recounting specifically the history of Israel, the good, the bad, and the ugly, recounting the law, recounting what you should do in light of the law, recounting the blessings of following after God, recounting the judgment that will come for not following God, and then introducing at the end, a series of praises. Songs that should be remembered when you realize you are lousy at this and you have fallen away. And songs of praise to when you are redeemed of God. And that's part of what Deuteronomy 33 is, is a song of praise. What's the celebration about? That God has his people. That he has not just left them to chance in the world. This is a This should be a driving force for Israel in the land. It should be a driving force for Christians today. You aren't just, you know, like hoist up the sails and see what happens. You live in a universe run by God. You live a life ordered and commanded and steered by God. Rejoice, Christian. He hasn't just been like, go, yeah, let's see what happens. He holds you as his, John 10, and none will snatch you out of his hand. Rejoice in that and live your life in the security of that knowledge. Now, the reason why I'm hammering this point is I want you to remember this. Why do I want you to remember this? Because Solomon doesn't. (laughs) Solomon doesn't remember this always. And that's part of the problem. And we're going to get there in just a second. But let's finish verse one. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. See what I mean when I said Solomon doesn't remember it? We, like, like, this is, this is that, that warning about double-mindedness. We'll probably be reminded of that later. Um, Solomon, you should know this. Proverbs 3. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Now, that's simple. That's the, wait for it, what is Proverbs? The wisdom of who? Solomon. So Solomon would have told you that God judges the wicked and he blesses the righteous. And now Solomon, a few years, a few months, I don't know when later, is telling you that man throughout all of his life doesn't know what will await him at the end of his days. You know what that means the problem is? Solomon no longer can define righteousness and cursing. He can no longer define up and down, good and bad. And that's a problem because, again, what's that thing he's supposed to be writing out? What is every king supposed to do when he becomes king? Write the law. Remember this. The law is not Leviticus. That's part of the law. The law is the Torah. The five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. There's a song. Sorry, it gets stuck in my head sometimes. Things like Deuteronomy 10. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all the peoples, as it is to this day. So circumcise your heart, stiffen your neck no longer, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, and the great, the mighty, the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien, for you are aliens in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and cling to him. You shall swear by his name. He is your praise. He is your God who has done these great and awesome things for you which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven." You're going, yeah, 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 what's the point? Well, stop for a second. What is Moses getting on about? Circumcise your heart. Stiffen your neck no longer. In other words, Christian, you know. Israelite, you know. When you are walking against God, it's because you have done what? You know. Stiffen your necks no longer. Why? Because I want to go this way. I want to go this way. God's trying to turn me that way. No, no, no. I don't, I, don't, I don't. Stop it. Pay attention. Realize where this path goes. Realize where that path goes. And again, Moses says he will beg them later on in the book to choose what? Choose Life. There's a way that leads to death. There's a way that leads to life. Choose which one. By the way, I always remember this. This is the reminder at the end of the life of all of the godly people of the Old Testament. Moses, when he gets to the end, this is the entirety of Deuteronomy. You disobey and you follow after the world. There will be judgments and cursings. Please don't do that. You love the Lord your God. You worship and serve him only. You trust in him and there is life eternal. Please do that. You guys all know the coffee cup verse at the end of Joshua. That's Joshua's last words. What does it say? If you don't know what you're supposed to do, which gods you want to serve, pick one. But as for me in my house, serve the Lord. What's he basically saying to Israel? You know what you're supposed to do. I know what I'm going to do. Please be like me. (laughs) David, in all of his writings and all the Psalms, what is he telling Solomon at the end? Solomon, I've laid everything out for you. You know the way you're supposed to go. Please choose the path that leads to life. This is the end of all of their lives because they get to the end and it's like, I know what happens to you in the world. I know what happens when you live too long in and of the world. And that tug is so strong that you have to strengthen yourself. You have to rest on that transformed heart and that renewed mind. That's what it means. Circumcise your heart, stiffen your neck. Know that you are redeemed and think in a new way, not according to the pattern of this world. Now, what's Solomon's big problem? What was the starting point of this book? I want to look at the world from which perspective?" This is what gets produced by that. You start to doubt, you start to wonder, you start to have questions. Not because the world is so shiny and awesome, but because you have removed the anchor. You have placed yourself out amongst the sea to see where it will go, and now you're like, um, where exactly was that land again? You know, sin is really good about not putting up lighthouses, not putting up, you know, it's like the GPS. You you ever had that moment on the GPS where you're on a road that didn't exist when your map was made? They've done this where, you know, that's why you got to buy the new garment every year. I think they do that on purpose now that I think about it. It's a really horrifying thing. You look at the GPS and all of a sudden you're like, um... This says the road is over there, and I'm looking at the, there's blacktop and there's lines, but the GPS is going, turn around, turn around, um, find a road, find a road, I don't know where you are, Um, I can't get there from here, it's it's frightening, that's what sin does to you, it's like putting you on a road that doesn't exist, and then going, now how are you going to get back, oh, not my problem, (laughs) or as I was told famously, I'll never forget being in the car, I was a kid with my grandfather, one of those memories that just won't go away, and he got turned around somewhere in the middle of nowhere, Eastern North Carolina, and he stopped for directions. And he asked the guy, told him where we wanted to go. And he oh, you can't get there from here. What do you mean you can't get there from here? Doesn't the road go in that direction? And what he meant was there's no direct road from where we were. You had to go to the next town. And be- but the way, I'm never going to forget, you can't get there from here. I, I really hope we can. <laughs> like, I really, really hope we can. Because otherwise I'm really confused. But that's what Solomon has done. He's looked at the world long enough. He's lived in the world long enough, and we'll give you some examples of that in a little bit, that he can't get there from here. You're, you're no longer sure which one is winning. This Christian is why there are the bumper guards of the New Testament. All the one and other verses. All the reminders of why you should have a fellowship with both God and other Christians. The reminders to read your Bible. The reminders to spend time in prayer. It's not because, well, you're a bad person if you don't. Look, you might be a bad person if you don't. I don't know why you don't. Maybe you don't read your Bible because you can't read. I'm not going to tell you you're a bad person for not reading your Bible. But they do make the little push button where you can tell it to talk to you. And I know you can handle that, right? <laughs> See, even Then he's nodding his head. Be like, yes, that's how I do it. So there are ways, there are things. The reason why those are there is not so you can feel bad about yourself when you fail, but so that you can be encouraged with who God is and what he is doing in this world when you succeed because of what he is strengthening you to day by day. Which, by the way, always remember the grace of God. The fact that you feel bad about yourself when you fail for reading your Bible and you fail for praying is actually good news. It's actually good news. You're like, I feel bad. I didn't read my Bible enough. Good. That's good news. That's the Holy Spirit going, looking at you, going, you know you should have done that, right? And you're like, yes, stop bothering me. This is good for you. This is encouraging. The pagan doesn't care about his sin. The pagan doesn't care whether or not he read his Bible or spent time in prayer. The fact that you care is good news. That's the fact that the Holy Spirit is kicking you in the butt again. This is good for you. Now listen. Now pay attention. Be in alignment with that circumcised heart and that unstiffened neck. And pay attention and move forward in the grace of God. Always remember, for that too, Christ has died. For that too, we return to the cross and be reminded that these are the iniquities. This is the sin that buried Christ. And yet, he is not dead. And yet, he is not buried. And yet, he is arisen. And yet, he is at the throne of God. And therefore, I have not been forsaken. I have not been forgotten. Again, whose hand holds me? I'm not clinging to God. God is holding on to me. Remember, imagine you walking along like, ooh, wait a minute, where'd you go? <laughs> this is why you didn't walk through the store with your kids holding on to you. You did what? Get in the car, dark, Yeah, Because that kid sees one shiny object, turns around, and then what happened? Which, by the way, have you ever lost a kid in the store? I have once, horrifying experience. I had enough of a brain, I just ran to the one entrance. Be like, all right, I'm here. I was like the goalie. <laughs> Cameron's doing the aisles, store employees, the most useless things on the planet. Grab the woman. I was like, I'm going to stay right here because my kid is somewhere in there. As long as I'm here, he's not lost because <laughs> he's in there. Can you like announce that we're looking for a kid? I don't know, maybe. <sighs> Never mind. Cameron, go up and down the aisles. <laughs> Connor was off in the corner tinkering with something. I think it traumatized him because years later we were in a store and Jada was clamoring for lunch. She was like a year and a half old. And we said, all right, we're going to go get lunch now. And she started walking off to the exit. Like just left us and walked to the exit. And like, Jada, 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 come come back, Jada. She, she, she's like, I'm hungry. It's time to eat now. She got 20, 30 feet. And all of a sudden Connor, because he's only a year and a half older, so he's like three, takes off for all he's worth to go get her. Like, and still to this day, He doesn't go get her and turn her around. When he gets there, perfect form tackle. Like, he broke down low, arms back, launched himself, like, shoulder in the small of her back and wrapped her up and, like, drove her to the ground. (laughs) She's like, that's beautiful, I wish I had that on film. (laughs) And she's just throwing elbows and knees because she wants lunch. I'm like, okay, we better go catch up to this before something bad happens. Don't lose your kids. (laughs) This is why it is not dependent upon you holding on to God, but why it is God that holds on to you. Remember that and evaluate your life accordingly. Let's continue. Verse 2. I promise we move faster as we go. It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice, for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so the sinner is. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. And if you're looking at things from a worldly perspective, yes, everybody at the end of life does what? Dies. Everybody does. This is why, again, the reminders, things like Matthew 19. Someone came to Jesus and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Now, you know what the problem with that question is, right? What good thing must I do to obtain eternal life? Dude, you're already in the wrong track. Jesus said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Let me know how that works out for you. Then he said to him, which ones? (laughs) Jesus' answer, like, just be good. Keep the commandments. Okay, yeah, but but like specifically, like there's a lot of commandments. Like, are there some that we can just like toss out? Like we don't need those? Because, you know, God is in the habit of being like, you know, don't do that most of the time. (laughs) Just imagine looking at the law and being like, there's gotta be some wiggle room somewhere in here. So, uh, Jesus said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's kind of all of them. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept, but what am I lacking? Like, I'm so awesome. Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go sell your possessions, give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. (laughs) He's like, well, you want me to do what? See, because at the end of the day, that was love the Lord your God. The ones that Jesus hadn't mentioned yet. That was surrender everything unto him. Which, by the way, that's one of the reasons why Jesus continues and says it's so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not because having money is evil. It's because typically, I mean, how many people in life are really actually rich because they didn't work hard? They didn't suffer. They didn't sacrifice. They didn't ignore some parts of their life to accomplish others. I mean like rich, rich. I don't mean like you're just not living comfortably. I mean like you have money to burn. You're doing the Pablo Escobar lighting your fireplace with $100 bills things. Like you got that way because you worked and you lived according to the pattern of the world. You studied, you did all of these things. You sacrificed in ways that other people didn't sacrifice. Well, when you do that, you typically also give up who else? Everything, including God. That's why it's hard. You have lived according to this world for so long, for so much, that you don't know how to live for something else. This was the example. This is the thing that Solomon is forgetting. Yes, everybody dies. That's why you're not supposed to be looking down in this manner. But we'll continue. This is an evil in all that is done unto the sun. that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. <laughs> Yeah, this is true. Therefore, what Solomon... By the way, this is what your New Testament tries to build on. Things like 2 Peter 3. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way... This is Peter talking about the judgment that's coming in fire. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. See... This answer says, everybody's going to die. Everything's going to be gone. Therefore, what's the point? Peter looks at it and says, everything's going to be burned. Everything's going to be destroyed. Therefore, don't live for this place. First John gives you the same reminder. James gives you the same reminder. Mentioned here in 2 Peter, you get the same reminder. Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew gives you the same reminder. Yes, everybody dies. Yes, judgment will come upon all sin. Therefore, look beyond. What's the danger of looking at the world according to the course of the world's wisdom? You start looking down. You start examining yourself. You start living according to the pattern of this place. And by the way, Solomon's done that for a while It's now starting to catch up with how he thinks. Verse 4. For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, their zeal have already perished, and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. Mm. Just when you think Solomon might begin to look up and be happy, we get something like that. Don't you just feel better about your life now? (laughs) When Jesus was confronted with this same understanding, what was his answer? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Hope, looking beyond this world. An understanding that scripture was not just a how-to manual in this world, but it was a message to the people of God on what God is doing and who he is and how he is doing that. The reason why I spend so much time worrying about how you live in this world is because that's your biggest problem most of the time. My assumption for you in this room is that you understand who Christ is, that you have trusted in him. Therefore, now what? I'm choking myself, sorry. That's why I spend so much time telling you to check your heart, to evaluate the things of your life, to renew your mind, to be strengthened in scripture, because these are the struggles that you have on a daily basis. Now, you know why I know they're the struggles you have on a daily basis? Because I'm human too. (laughs) And these are the struggles that I have on a daily basis, unless you people are all just that much better than me, which, full disclosure, that's a distinct possibility. (laughs) Not going to argue that point with you. But isn't this the difficulty? Like, is your problem in life just, you know what? Dog on it. I'm so good so often and I'm so righteous. And I got this world so figured out that I I need to be told how awesome I am more. Like, is that really your problem most days? I'd be like, no, no, no. See, see, there's this kid in my house and I'm trying not to strangle him this week. (laughs) Lord, give me strength and change my heart and renew my mind. So I don't strangle this gift that you have given me. (laughs) So that I'm not angry at this wonderful spouse that you have presented with me. So I don't hate this creation and these sinners that you have died for. Please strengthen me. Whatever your life situation is, this is the struggle that we deal with day in and day out. Because if you interact with a sinner, and unless you are a hermit living in the desert, guess what you do? You interact with a sinner. Your biggest problem more often than not is, how do I actually honor God in the midst of darkness? How do I ensure that the light shines? How do I ensure that I'm resting in the right place and I am not drifting along with the patterns? It's again why I actually like looking at Solomon in in Ecclesiastes because he does get it so wrong because he spends so much time looking at the world according to the world. There's wisdom in that and benefit for us because we can see what has gone wrong and go, ooh, I don't want to do that, so let's do something else. Like continue to verse 7. Go then... Eat your bread in happiness. drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Now, ah, on what basis does Solomon say that God has approved your works? Because that, that would be an important question to answer, wouldn't it? I mean, if you're just pagan, running around doing what you feel like because it makes you happy, has God, has God really honestly approved your works? maybe, maybe not. Maybe I don't, I don't know. This is probably a little difficult, so we're going to put the best construction on this and assume that we have left a little bit of worldly wisdom and we have a little bit of that godly wisdom coming through. And the reason I'm uncomfortably going to rest there is things like Ecclesiastes 2. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God for who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him. So Solomon's assumption in this is that you are resting in God, even if he is not, (laughs) which is always a fun little assumption that would be like me up here going, Hey, you guys need to repent and trust in Jesus. I'm not going to do that, but you need to (laughs) like, that would be a little bizarre, wouldn't it? But that's kind of what Solomon is doing. Now, remember then we made some reminders about the, about the new Testament. If The same idea from 9 is coming back from chapter 2, then I think the advice from then will be applicable now, so we'll give it to you, James 1. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Now again. This is where I connect a little bit to last week when we got to the end of chapter 8 I told you that it was an ending of that chapter and a beginning of this chapter But it was also a place where you should rest Because you have to be willing to look at the world and say I don't know I would really love to know how that tornado in a trailer park was for the glory of God I would love to know the answer to that but I'm looking at it and I'm going "Eh, I ain't got nothing I would love to know why this illness or why that catastrophe or why this, I would love to know how this is to the glory of God, but I can't see 5, 10, 20, 100 years down the road. So I don't know, but God does. And I have to rest there and be comfortable resting there. That's part of the wisdom that is involved here. And that's one of, the, one of the things that James is building on is you have to remember that every gift is from above. That again, God didn't just set the place spinning and be like, all right, let's see what happens. Get out there and go get him, team. I mean, I went through this coaching. It's the most aggravating part of coaching a sport is you can't do anything. yeah it's frustrating isn't it because you're sitting there going i've taught them and i know they know what to do and i know they know how to do it but i can't do anything for them i can just stand here and hope and coach and root and correct and at the end of the day they gotta run the bases or they gotta hit the big they gotta do it And it's anxiety-inducing, and when they fail, it is soul-crushing. And when they succeed, it's the greatest fear. I've never been happier about anything I did than about watching the kids that I coach succeed. That's not what God does. God's not sitting on the sidelines going, oh, I've given them everything. I hope they get to figure this out. He's, this is my world. This is my world, and I rule, and I reign, and I run things. Get in line. <laughs> that would be much better. No, that would not be any fun to coach like that, but it, w- it would make me feel better about it. <laughs> Christian, though, we have to remember this. Therefore, I have to rest in the fact that I don't know, and I have to rejoice in the fact that he does, and that while I can't see what's down the line, he has already seen what's down the line. He knows how this ends. He knows who wins. I know he wins. I just don't see how that works. Therefore, how do I glorify him right now? How do I rest in my lack of knowledge? How do I trust in the work that he has accomplished in me? How do I proclaim the goodness that he has done all this time? And how do I rest in who he is? This is what Solomon is losing. Why? Because what does the world want from you? Now, quickly, everything. Give me an answer. Give me this. Give me that. Ah! I mean, think about it from this perspective. We're, have, if you've seen social media in the last couple of months, they're all going crazy for the for the new AI chat thing because it can produce news stories and write term papers and all of that. Here's the beauty of it, though. You, you know when you get right down to it that the computer doesn't come up with anything new? <laughs> we just think it comes up with something new because we're not aware of everything. Like, your brain can't Google. Remember remember when Google, for those of you that are enough, remember when Google used to put the little counter in the top to tell you, like... You, you do your search for, like, you know, baseball scores or whatever. It'd be like 1,917,000 searches in .04 seconds. And you're like, wow. I don't know if I'm impressed or horrified or what. But that's all the, the, the AI thing is doing. You can't know everything and you can't search everything. Therefore, when it comes up with something, you're like, ooh, look, this is new. No, it isn't. It took words from here and words from there and words from here and words from there and did what with them? <clears throat> Stuck them together. That's not new, you just aren't aware of it. The world tries to demand what of you, though? Why don't you know all of this stuff? Why can't you give me an answer to this? Why can't you solve that conundrum? Oh, yeah, Christian, you're so smart. Well, tell me. I don't know. I'm not God. And your problem is not that I don't know. Your problem is that you don't know and that you're not resting there because you don't have that trust. Deal with that first that's where the attack lies. This is what Solomon forgets because again, we're moving between two worlds. You can't live you can't live in the world like this. Be like we're going to make it. We're just fine. Eventually something bad is going to happen. So, what's going to happen next? Solomon continues on. Let your clothes be white all the time and let not oil be lacking on your head. How? See, I want to reach into my Bible and look at Solomon and go, "How?" How, pray tell, shall I be be clean and anointed? I would love to know. Because you're thinking of your New Testament verses. I know you are. But Solomon should also know the answer. Things like Psalm 23, written by his dad, by the way. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We do ourselves a disservice that we only read that at funerals. We remind ourselves of that when somebody dies because that's the worst thing that we can imagine ever happening. We need to be reminded of that daily, that in the midst of this world, we may walk in the valley of the shadow of death, but why are we afraid? We have him. He has not forgotten us. He has not forsaken us. We are blessed. That's why I'm reminding you forever what you're standing before the throne of God is. That you sin now. You struggle now. There is coming a day when you will not struggle. There is coming a day when righteousness that has been declared by Christ will be realized because of who he is and what he has done. So let's get to the really fun advice of this chapter, shall we? Verse 9. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Says the guy with 700 wives. (laughs) Says the guy with 700 wives. I mean, this is that I love the little dig. Did you catch it? Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life. (laughs) You little bug that will be dead soon. Enjoy your woman. It's all you get. (laughs) By the way, don't look at your wife and be like, this is my prize. Don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't look sideways. Do not look. (laughs) Every woman in here, Mary, just went, hmm? Hmm?" now, I pick on Solomon a little bit here, but this is also part of the unstable double-mindedness of Solomon in this book, because the dude who's giving you this advice is the dude with 700 wives, is also the guy who wrote the next book in your Bible, which is the Song of Solomon, which is this declaration of love for the woman that he cares about. And i try to rationalize that go have fun go rationalize 700 wives and maybe the greatest love poem to your favorite woman of all time i mean i know it's got some weirdness in it but you know in, enjoy the comparison of your of your teeth to goats and your or your your teeth to sheep and your hair to goats it's yeah you got to you got to love some of this your your hair is like the goats on the hillside <laughs> and all of you women are gonna be like yes yes my lovely locks <laughs> <laughs> it's the joys of life. Now, speaking of joys in life, this is a good reminder by the way. Despite Solomon's, you know, wishy-washiness and standing in both places Christian, you should have joy. You should be able to rejoice in the things that God has given to you, regardless of what they are. And by the way, I've said this before, not in a while, but I'm going to say it again. I don't care if you're happy, I don't care if you're happy. At the end of the day, your Bible doesn't really care if you're happy. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is this little fleeting emotion. Like, ooh, we have ice cream. You're happy. Then you get to the bottom of the container. Oh, the ice cream is gone. And now I'm what? Now I'm sad. Unless you were smart and you planned ahead. Have you ever done that to yourself where you're eating and you're like, you, you didn't know it was the last bite. You took the last bite. And you're like, ooh, ooh, I wasn't prepared. <laughs> or is that just me with an unhealthy relationship to food? <laughs> But you you people have seriously never done that with like French fries or mozzarella sticks or you just you know (sighs) like See, that's happy. No, joy. I got to eat. I enjoyed food. It was wonderful. And now I am full. I have had provision. And this is what joy looks like. I mean, let's be honest. Let's borrow from Solomon's analogy here. Enjoy life with your wife. Guys, there has been a time where you have looked at your wife and said, I'm not really happy right now. Mine I've said is like, I just, I don't like you right now. Give me a minute. <laughs> I've said this and my wife has said to me, I don't like you right now. I get that. I'm gonna go over here for a second. <laughs> this is human reality. Does that make our marriage less joyful? No, because these are fleeting moments. Life is up, life is down. But again, over time, I rejoice in what God has gifted. I rejoice in the joy and the provision that he has provided. I rejoice in the places that he has put me and in the things he has provided because that is what I'm called to do. And regardless of whether or not I'm happy about it, which by the way is your connection to your previous points. How do I glorify him now by reminding myself of who I am in Christ, what he has done for me, regardless of how it is right this second, regardless of whether or not I understand what is being done or what has been done. I understand that Christ has died for me. That he has brought me into the throne room of God. That he has declared me righteous and I will one day realize that. That is joy. That is where I rest. Verse 10. Whatever your hand, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. Which, okay, real quick. I normally translate this on the fly just for you because the NASB does us no favor sometimes. I've told you this before, just a quick reminder, there is a difference between translating and transliterating. So translating is taking a word from one language and putting it into the other language so that it makes sense. Transliterating is just taking the word directly and putting it right to your language, right? So like, we've done this with names in the Midwest. We have a bunch of French names. We just transliterated them and gave them English pronunciations, and we're not even consistent about that. We also do this all the time in in language. I always use this as a simple example because it's an easy one to remember. Like the Greek word apostolos. What is that in English? It's an apostle. That's not a translation. When you see apostle in your New Testament, that's not a translation. That's a transliteration. We just took the Greek word and we put some English on it, and now it's a word. It's a messenger, one that has been sent out, an envoy, from whoever has sent them. That's what the word actually means. That's what the word apostle means. Sheol here has done the same thing. We have taken the Hebrew word and we have transliterated it into English and it doesn't help us. Just always remember, if you ever read in your Bible, you see something like that. It's where dead people are. It's the grave. Everybody dies and goes to Sheol. Okay? When you're dead, that's where you abide until Jesus comes back, basically. So that's why if you ever hear me reading something out of the Old Testament and I say the grave, typically it's because the word shield was there, and it's just easier to translate it. (laughs) It's less confusing, and then I don't have to give you this explanation every single time because you know how often I think we we remember this explanation. But anyway, with all of that said, doesn't that just make you feel so happy? Go work. Enjoy the things that you have done because you're going to die and be buried. Thanks? (laughs) Once again, what does Solomon forget? We've gone from wisdom of God right back to what? Wisdom of the world. And again, what's the hope of the world, in all honesty? We mentioned this, I don't know if it was last week or the week before. They don't offer you peace. They don't offer you hope. They don't offer you security. They don't offer you anything, because at the end of the day, they have nothing to offer. Now, I will give Solomon this. This is good advice, if you ignore the last half. <laughs> so, write advice, reason behind the advice. The advice shouldn't be enjoy your life because you're going to die. The advice should be something like Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. Shorter version, enjoy your life. Enjoy the work that you have as an offering unto God because he has redeemed you. That's what the advice should be. Solomon keeps waffling back and forth and he can't help himself. Verse 11, I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to the warriors and neither is bread to the wise nor wealth to the discerning nor favor to men of ability for time and chance overtake them all. Yes, yes they do, but things like Proverbs 16. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. You live in a world ruled by God for God. Not the other way around. Never forget that. Jesus tried to get this lesson across. John 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he'd be born blind? It's almost like Job wasn't in the Old Testament. (laughs) Every time you turn around, it's almost like, Job, what's a Job? We didn't pay any attention to that book. Maybe they slept through that Sunday school lesson. Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Remember, you don't have... Vision forty years from now. You don't have vision forty minutes from now. For crying out loud, we barely have vision forty seconds from now. If you can even process what might happen, and even then, we don't know what's going to happen. Nobody has ever gotten into a car accident like you know. I saw that one coming from three blocks away, and I just drove right into it anyway because I figured it was just my thing to do. <laughs> Everybody says what about that car that sideswiped them? No. What, did, what do you say? It came out of nowhere. All these cars just come out of nowhere. Bing! Who knows what happened to them? Anyway. Moreover, man does not know his time. Like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Yes. Yes. Yes, they are. First off, why? Go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and, why, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. But remember, despite the fact that that is who we are, we live in a world run by God for God. Go back to John 9. Jesus continued. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, Christian, really fun question for you. Ready? This is your pop quiz portion of the program. I didn't warn you there'd be a test later because I don't want to give you anxiety. Has Jesus left the world? Is he still in the world? Where? In the dwellings of his people. Which means, Christian! The light of the world is still in the world, and you're supposed to be working the works of him while he is in the world. What should you be doing? <laughs> this is why I hammer on you to check your heart, to renew your mind, and recognize that he has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. He has not forgotten you. That in the midst of our brokenness, he has redeemed us. In our sinfulness, he has put us back together, and he has set us on a righteous path. Therefore, we actually have the answer. We know what is wrong, and we know how to set it right. This is again why I'm forever telling you to get down to the baseline of the problem, to evaluate rightly. None of this up here. I don't care what the process has produced. I care why we're thinking the way that we're thinking. So I can't even remember my own example from earlier. How bad is that? What brain cells? This You guys joke when I say, I don't expect you to remember everything I say because I don't remember everything I say. I'm not kidding when I say that. Ah, I just remembered. I better stop. I better hurry up before it runs away again. The early example I made where they, the world demands of you what? Why don't you have an answer? Why can't you tell me why? Their problem is not that you can't tell them why. Their problem is they don't want to trust in the fact that there is a God who knows. That's the difference between up here arguing and down there finding the foundation. Is recognize your problem is not me. Because at the end of the day, Christian, what did you do? Now, if you did something, apologize, and then move forward. But more often than not, what did you honestly do? Nothing. Who's the argument with? The two things about the atheist. What does he know to be true? There is no God, and I hate him. Which means when you show up and tell me about him, I now hate him and you. Well, the problem isn't you. The problem is God. Get back to the foundation. Get back to the baseline. Your problem is not that I don't have an answer. Your problem is you don't have an answer, and you don't like living in a world that you don't run, which means you don't want to live in a world that God runs. I got really bad news for you. (laughs) Now, how do we get back to who Christ is And how he is redeemed. Well, your problem is you're the idol. You're the God that you wish to serve in this world. There is a God who has died for that. There is a redemption that is available for that. There is a hope beyond that that will change your heart, renew your mind, so that you will live for the right thing. And then you will be having the same struggles we have, where you will look and go, I don't have an answer, but I'm no longer angry because I know that God does have an answer. Away from the peripheral stuff, away from the secondary things, down to the foundation. That's what needs to be reminded always. Yes, this is true. Everybody's going to die. So what? Now what? The hope of the world is, well, let's hurry up and get there or get there as happily as possible. Let's really be honest. This is a a joke that I heard years ago. I've mentioned it before. I need to stop mentioning it because you guys have heard this a thousand times. But first question we always ask when somebody dies is what? How old were they? 147, does that make it better? <laughs> and the answer is no, no it doesn't. Well, you know, they died surrounded by their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. And you go, okay, does that, make, does that mean all of those people aren't sad? Are they now happy about it? Be like, yay, great-grandma's gone, go team. <laughs> and that's really, really broken. But this is, the, this is the broken part of life As we sit there and we try to find a comfort where? Here, there isn't one. There flat out isn't one. My advice at every funeral I've ever preached at is look, rejoice in the memories, it's a gift of God. Rejoice in the things that you can, that you can be happy about because it's a gift of God. But at the end of the day, you better start looking for peace in Jesus because there isn't any anyplace else. And if you can't find that, you're gonna be in a world of trouble because all those memories you're trying to find hope in, they're gonna produce despair. I mean, for those of you that have lost somebody, did it get better? I mean, be honest. Did it get better? No, you just learned how to do what? You just learned how to deal with it a little easier. And I know some of you have lost children. Some of you have lost spouses. Some of you have lost family members. This is the reality of life. It's not good, and it's not easy, and it's a reminder of the brokenness And that we don't have answers, but I have to rest where? In the God that does. And I trust in the hand that is guiding. And I trust in the hand that is producing eternity. And I can hope in all that he is, in all that he has promised. Verse 13. Also this, I came to see his wisdom under the sun. And it impressed me. Ooh, that's an accomplishment. There was a small city with few men in it. And a great king came to it, surrounded it, constructed large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. Well, duh, because what do we honestly remember? Unless you are that poor man, do you remember the great works? No. Go have some fun. There's this um, there's this great YouTube channel, there's actually a couple of these, where they go around to state fairs and ask teenagers trivia questions on, like, history and stuff. Either either numbskulls are the only people on the planet who go to state fairs or we are in real trouble because <laughs> it'd be like who was the first president of the united states washington lincoln or clinton and they're like um <laughs> like in what year was the united States what year was the declaration of independence signed and they're like uh 1962 <laughs> we're doomed <laughs> we're doomed <laughs> where there's no hope for anybody now I use that as an example because I'm a history person. And I know the numbers, and I know the dates typically, but I recognize that nobody else does. Because at the end of the day, what do we care about? We care about the stuff that impacts us, and we ignore the stuff that doesn't. We've just done a really good job of teaching ourselves that nothing that happened before us has any bearing on us. Because what did Solomon tell you? I have seen the wicked buried, those who used to go in and out from the holy place, and they were soon forgotten in the city where they did thus. That was just The last chapter, that was last week. We forget everything if we want to. This is nothing new. So what, Solomon? Verse 16. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Yep. To which I say, yes, yes, and yes. Yes to all of that now what so you want us to have wisdom Solomon because wisdom can accomplish things even though you told us five chapters ago that wisdom was vanity and striving after the wind what again are we forgetting and again this is where Solomon just can't help himself with that foundation what's the point of wisdom Christian Yes. 1 Corinthians 1. The word, of cro- the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Your wisdom is supposed to drive you not to worldly goods, not to safety and security here, but to God, to an understanding of who he is, what he has done, and why you should actually care and why that matters. That's what wisdom is supposed to accomplish. And if it doesn't accomplish that, you know what you don't have? You don't have any wisdom. Or at the best, you have wisdom according to the world. What's that going to produce, Solomon. Vanity, vanities, striving after the wind. Christian, remember that. Our hope is not in our smarts. Our hope is not in our accomplishment. Our hope is not in anything that is in this world. Our hope is in Christ and him crucified, him raised, him seated at the right hand of the father who declares us good as we trust in him. And as we live in this world, that is our rest and that is our peace and that is our security because there can be nothing else. Let's pray.